Hello and welcome to Renewing Hope Church in Oceanside, California, where our mission is to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind, and to love our neighbor as ourself. We pray that this episode will both challenge and encourage you to love more. And now, here's today's episode. All right, so we are in John chapter 7, starting in verse 32, and we're going to finish out chapter 7 today. So John seven thirty-two, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him, and the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. So last week we were looking at the crowd and the crowd saying, could this be the Christ? And now that the word's gotten to the religious leaders are like, oh no, it's reached that point to where, okay, we can't wait any longer. Uh, go arrest Jesus. And they send the, the officers to arrest him. So verse 33, Jesus then said, I will be with you a little longer and then I am going to him who sent me. You will seek me and you will not find me. Where I am, you cannot come. The Jews said to one another, Where does this man intend to go that we will not find him? Where does, does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? So that just means that the Jews had community outside of Israel uh, where they would obviously teach the, the Jewish scripture. So they're saying, Is he going to go to like Iraq or Turkey and teach with them or the Greeks? So uh, verse 36, What does he mean? By saying, you will seek me and you will not find me, and where I am, you cannot come. Jesus here is addressing those who are opposing him. So he's just telling these guys who want to arrest him, who want to get rid of him, who don't want to go his way. He's like, I'm about to go to a place where you can't come. And um, it's interesting because everyone fights Jesus while they're on this earth and they think that Jesus is going to let them into heaven. It's like, well, Jesus is the boss of heaven. And if you don't obey the boss on this earth and you want nothing to do with Jesus, why would you want to go to Jesus's home? Um, and that's what Jesus is telling these people. He's like, you're fighting me and you're not going to get to come to where I'm going because I'm going back to the one who sent me. Uh, verse 37. On the last day of the feast, the great day. So I love the Gospel of John because it gives us these time markers. So we have the seven feast days of the Jewish calendar. So it starts with Passover and unleavened bread. And then we've got, uh, sorry, Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits. And then Pentecost is in the middle. And then we've got Rosh Hashanah. And then we have Yom Kippur. And we have the Feast of Booze or Tabernacles. Now, what's interesting is this is a seven-day feast, and this is a seven-day feast, and they both have like a bookmark at the end of them. So this Passover is on the 14th of, of Nisan, and then you've got seven days. It starts on the 15th, and at the end, it's a seven-day feast of booze, and at the very end, it's called the eighth day, which is called the great day because it's like the last holiday of their season. So for us, it's like New Year's Day. Like you get through Christmas Eve, you get through Christmas Day, and then you have New Year's Eve, and it's like, okay, once you hit, I always say that in my work, the holidays are crazy, and like January 2nd's my favorite holiday of the year because everything's over with and the madness goes away. But um, so this is the last day of the feast. And for this festival, everyone, all the Jews had to live in booths or like a, a makeshift like tent, like a booth like with little walls and they put like 
palm branches as a roof to remind them of living in the wilderness when they were with Moses. And what's really cool is when they build all these apartment high-rises in Israel now on their patios, they have it set up that they can still build booze uh, to fulfill the law of Moses. Now, what's really interesting is that during this feast, the high priest would come from the temple at the top of the hill and go all the way down to this, this pool called the Pool of Siloam seven days, every day of the Feast of Tabernacles, and fill up this golden pitcher of water and take it all the way back to the temple and pour it out at the altar. And this was done in remembrance of God fulfilling the thirst of the people of Israel when they were in the desert with Moses. So they get into the desert, like background, they, they leave Egypt, and there's three million people going through the Red Sea, and then they go into the desert. And if you've ever been in the desert, there's not a lot of water. <laughs> so they're like, we're thirsty, and why do you bring us out here to kill us? So we'll read this section, and I'll show you what, why they were doing this symbolism of getting the pitcher of water in Jesus' time, because it was to remember this part of Scripture. So Exodus 17:3. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with this people? They are almost ready to stone me. I mean, it'd probably been days without water and they're getting restless. Verse five, and the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people and, and taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go, behold, I will stand before you there, notice, on the rock, not a rock, but the rock, at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come, up, come out of it, and the people will drink. Now, the fact that, that he says the rock and not a rock is, is, shows you that this is not just like a random rock. Like if I said, meet me at the cross at Mount Soledad, you know what I'm, it's not just a small cross on a house. It's like the cross on Mount Soledad. So this next picture is a picture of the rock of Horeb. This is in Saudi Arabia. And this is, so that rock was solid before Moses struck it. So Moses struck that rock and then water, you can't see in this picture and tell, but that all those stones below it actually have water wear, like, it, like if they were in a river. So this is in the middle of the desert. So just to give you an idea of how big this rock is, this next picture shows people in the small little crevice, right? So when we go to the next, and we'll go to the next slide again, it's just to see the pic, that shows you how big this rock is. So when God says like the rock, this was like a major rock, and, um, and that is where the water flowed out of to give enough water for three million people. That's a lot of people who were thirsty and all their cattle, and, um, and there's all this evidence of all the water wear on all the rocks. And what's really cool is Saudi Arabia starting to open this up to tourists. And I have a pastor friend at Cross Connection who's going there soon. Uh, which is really, really cool because it used to be all hidden and barbed wire fence and you had to sneak in and um, they're slowly starting to open it up to people to visit it, which is really exciting. So, so fast forward to Jesus's time, okay? Um, this, this next picture is a picture of the temple. So this is in Jerusalem. So at the top is the temple. So when you see Jerusalem and there's that dome of the rock with the gold top, 
The Dome of the Rock is where the temple is at the very, very top. Now, at the very bottom of the picture, you'll see a pool. That is the Pool of Siloam, which is the largest mikvah in Jewish culture. This was a, a ritual cleansing. It was the size of two Olympic pools. Okay? And the reason that was even created, it goes back to King Hezekiah. There was this Gihon Spring, and the king of Assyria was coming down to conquer them. And he built this incredible underground tunnel that fed the, the, the Gihon Spring into that pool. And you can go visit that tunnel today and see it. It's crazy. I'll be there in, in a couple weeks. Um, what's really exciting is that Pool of Siloam had been hidden for centuries. And then in 2004, there was a sewer break. And so they had to go in and fix it, right? And in Israel, you don't just go dig up stuff. You got to bring the archaeologists just in case there's something going on. So they're digging and they're digging. And all of a sudden, the archaeologists hear scrape. It's like, oh, what's that? And okay, stop, you know, stop with the, the land movers. And they go look and they find all these steps. And the steps are the same steps that go up to the temple at the top. And they're like, what is this? So they figure out that this, that they found it, and then that the property where the pool was, the guy had no interest in excavating it, and so it's just sat there, and they've been waiting it. And just this last year, the property changed, and now they're starting to dig it out. So they're actually clearing out. So as you see from the pool, there's all these steps that go all the way to the top of the temple, and you literally do this climb. So you go get this ritual cleansing, and then you do this ascent up to the temple. So when you look at Psalms 120 through 134, there's 15 psalms. They all start with a psalm of ascent because you would sing these psalms as you're walking up to the temple. So it's really, really cool. So anyways, that is, and they're excavating this now, so we'll all be able to do that same trek probably in the next like three to five years. Um, but that is where the pool is, just to give you an idea. So the priest would come all the way down and fill up that pool and then go all the way to the top. So it's the final day of the Feast of, uh, of all Israel. So the Feast of Tabernacles has ended, and it's now the eighth day. They don't do that on the eighth day. So Jesus stands up where they would normally pour out the water, and he makes this statement. So... On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. Now, what's really interesting about that is that's not normal Jesus M.O. He doesn't cry out. His ministry is not one of shouting in the streets and, hey, everyone, pay attention to me. The Holy Spirit made everyone pay attention to him because he did all these miracles. How do I know that Jesus didn't go around shouting all the time? Because it's in the scripture. So Isaiah 42.1, Behold my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, and whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. So his MO is, is very quiet, humble Jesus, and the Holy Spirit would do all the shouting for him by raising the dead and you know, restoring the sight to the blind. So the fact that Jesus is shouting at the end of his ministry is really, really important. Like, why is he shouting? Because this is the last Jewish feast day that he will be teaching on. Because the next one is the 14th of Nisan, which is Passover when he's killed. 
So this is his final, like, I'm teaching to show you the significance of this Jewish feast day. This is my last time. So verse 37 says, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. And I love, because Penny's songs, we had a lot of lyrics in the songs tonight about Jesus fulfills our thirst. God created thirst. He created hunger that comes from God. God will never give you a desire for something that he doesn't intend to fulfill. He is a good God. And what Jesus is saying is all your spiritual needs, all your spiritual wants, they all can be fulfilled in me. That's a radical statement, by the way, of just a guy saying that. Like, who, who's this guy, right, to say that? But obviously, Jesus being God, walking in the flesh, is telling everyone at the Feast of Tabernacles on this day where they would normally, they just washed the water poured out seven times, and now they're not doing it. And he's saying, okay, that all points to me. I'm the one who's here to fulfill your thirst. And Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 10. He says that huge rock that we saw, that's Christ. He says, just because just the same thing, Christ was stricken, like Moses struck the rock, and, and Christ was stricken when he was crucified. And then out of Christ comes living water to, to, to fill us spiritually. This is really cool because it's not that God just wants to fill you and fulfill all your, your, your spiritual needs, but he also wants you to be a vessel to fill others. That's the exciting part of Christianity is you're not just like, you don't just passively sit there and take it in. God wants to use you to touch other people. So verse 38, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Living water, it just means moving water. That's all it means, it, like a river. So it, if water's moving, it doesn't get bacteria and get gross. So it stays fresh, and that's why the, the Gihon Spring, it's a spring. It's always moving water, which is what the mikvah was filled with. So God wants you to fill others by his Holy Spirit. And that's really encouraging, because if you're going through a season where you don't feel like there's living waters flowing out of you, you know? But what's really interesting about the Gihon Spring, it's an intermittent spring, which means it didn't constantly pump out water. It had these seasons where it'd pump out less in the summer and more in the spring. And so God, God didn't design you to always be rocking on Mach 10 and always be like feeling the best. At times, you're not gonna feel like the Holy Spirit is moving in you, but um, it's God's doing his work whether you feel it or not. So verse 39, now this he said, this is John's commentary, the Gospel of John, John writing this. He says, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So we've covered this in the past, but the Holy Spirit could not be given to everybody until sin had been dealt with. So to, until Jesus was crucified, um, the Holy Spirit could not come upon and into everybody. But once Jesus died, uh, that gift is for all of us, which is so exciting. Verse 40, when they heard these words, some of the people said, this really is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ or the Messiah. They didn't realize that that's one and the same person. They thought it might be two separate people. 
But some said, Is the Christ to come from Galilee? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the offspring of David and comes from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So this crowd knew their Bible, which is really cool. So what they're quoting is Micah 5.2. Uh, but you, O Bethlehem Ephrathah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient days. It's not a man. This is like letting you know this baby is going to be the one who is from the beginning, as Jesus called himself the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. So John 7, 43, there was a division among the people over him. Some of them wanted to arrest him, but no one laid hands on him. Isn't that interesting that these guys were literally, imagine sending the police to go arrest somebody and they show up and they're just like, they're listening because they haven't seen anything like this. And it just goes to show you that if anything happens in your life, it's been allowed by God the Father. If it's not the timing, it, it won't happen. And we see this when Jesus is being um, interrogated by Pilate. So John 19.10, so Pilate said to him, you will not speak to me. Do you, do you not know that I have the authority to release you and the authority to crucify you? And, you know, Pilate thinks he's got all this power. Notice Jesus' response. Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. So Jesus is saying that all these things that we see that are chaotic, that seem like it's random, the Father knew about all this before he created heaven and earth. And so everything is exactly according to what the Father intended, good or bad, what he allows um, when it's happening. And if it's not in God's will, it won't happen. So it was not the timing for Jesus to be arrested. And so even though these officers showed up to arrest him, they're like, nope, didn't happen. Verse 45, the officers then came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? The officers answered, no one ever spoke like this man. Imagine hearing Jesus actually teach and the Holy Spirit's on him. And it, it just been like in the presence of God. They were like, no one has ever spoken like this man. Notice the Pharisees. The Pharisees answered them, Have you also been deceived? Have any of the authorities of the Pharisees believed in him? So it's like, well, the Pharisees don't think he's the Messiah, and we're the most important people. So notice their pride, right? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. So notice their pride. They're like, and this happens a lot of times when people get like, whether it's professors or anyone who's in a career, when you get all this knowledge, you start to look at like the lay people of people who don't have all the knowledge, like, oh, they're idiots. They don't know anything. But God has given us all his image, like his, we are made in his image. We all have like a sixth sense at times to know when something's off. I'm always amazed, like our ability to judge, even if we don't know all the facts, we're like, oh, something's off, you know, like it's like this. God instilled thing when we know something's from God or when something's wrong or someone's being shady. So educated people, uneducated people, they can tell when something's good or bad. But these Pharisees felt like, well, because they didn't go to seminary, they don't know the law like us. But as we're going to see that they were blind themselves. And we just saw that the people were quoting the scriptures. They were talking about Micah. They're like, I thought the Messiah was supposed to come from Bethlehem. That's a great question because he is supposed to. But no one ever asked, hey, Jesus, 
were you ever from Bethlehem? And he would have answered. You know, you know, they had all these questions, but they didn't get to the bottom of it. Because the, the, the prophecy doesn't say he's supposed to grow up there. It just says he's supposed, to be, he's supposed to come from there. And obviously we know he was born there. So verse 50, Nicodemus, <clears throat> who had gone to him before... And who is one of them, right? Remember, Nicodemus went to Jesus in chapter 3 and asked him, and that's where we get the famous born-again verse. Does our law judge a man without first giving him a hearing and learning what he does? So these guys are judging Jesus without really knowing all the facts. And uh, for me, that's just a reminder for, to be slow to judge. I've, I've personally judged scenarios that I thought it was one thing, and then when I learned the facts behind it, I was like, oh, I'm completely wrong, and that's not what it looks like. And so I think it's just a reminder to all of us, when we see something, just be, to, to be slow to rush into judgment, because we don't always know what's going on. And clearly these guys didn't know what's going on, because God's walking among them, and they didn't even know it. So verse 52, they replied, <laughs> Notice their pride. Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. <clears throat> I got a cold. It's been a fun one all week. I'm almost there. I'm almost through the, ser the service. And I'm at the end of it. So um, I'm amazed at how much pride can blind us. And this is a, a warning to all of us. Let Never let your pride just make you think you've got everything figured out. And um, we see this a lot of times in the science communities. These guys get really smart, and they think they're smarter than God. And they figured out all these molecules and different stuff. But they, I always love when someone's just so confident. I, I remember one time a coworker saying, you believe, in, you believe in creation and God made all this stuff? He's like, what do you live under a rock? Like no one who's even semi-educated believes that. And I said, oh, Mr. All-Knowing Person, let me ask you a few questions. Can you explain the origin of space, time, and life from non-life? And he just stopped. And he was like, uh, no. Well, no one really knows that. You know, it's just the proof that even the scientists don't have it all figured out. And I think what we're also seeing with the, with the Pharisees <clears throat> excuse me, is, uh, is geographical pride. So they're living in an area where the temple was in the south, in Judea. And that's where all the Pharisees are. This is where all the schools are. And Galilee's like on the other side of Samaria. And the Samaritans, they hated the Samaritans. And to get to Galilee was annoying. So it's like, oh, those, you know, those people up in the hills in Galilee, they're not really good religious Jews like us down here in the south. And it... We can relate to this because we're neighbors with, with Tijuana, right? And Tijuana's in Mexico. And most of us would say, oh, yeah, like San Diego's way, you know, stay classy San Diego. Like San Diego's so much more of a classy city than Tijuana is. And obviously there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot more crime in TJ and all kinds of things. But imagine like a culinary chef from San Diego who makes all these dishes and someone's bringing up TJ and culinary things that come out of TJ and he says, no culinary traditions ever come out of TJ just because of his pride. And actually, do you know what came out of TJ? The Caesar salad. That was invented in Tijuana. And that's one of those things like you would never think that, right? And so we can never, just because a city is not as esteemed, we can't assume that good things come, can't come out of it. 
And we see, see the same exact thing with the, with the, with the prophecies, uh, with, the, with the Pharisees talking about prophecies, because like, no prophet ever came from Galilee. So as pride can blind us, these Pharisees were very blinded because there were actually six prophets who came out of Galilee. Micah, Jonah, Nahum, Hosea, Elijah, and Elisha all come from Galilee. So they were so blind to their pride that they didn't even know what they were talking about. And to make things worse, these masters of the Bible, these all-knowing Pharisees who knew the scriptures better than any of these lay people from Galilee or, or all these people who, who you know, are just uneducated, simple people, notice what verse they forgot. Isaiah 9, verse 1. But there will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, which is just Galilee. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea and the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. So it's prophetic that the Galilee is this great light is going to shine out of Galilee. And that's a great segue because next week we're going to talk about Jesus being the light of the world. And so that's a, it's, a, it's a great verse to end on. So let me pray for us and we'll finish with some more worship. Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you that you sent Jesus to be the light of the world and let us never become so prideful that we miss what you're doing. Um, let us always come to your scriptures with a humble heart, God, uh, asking to know more, to seek more. And, and let us go to those who don't know you, God, with that same humility and take their questions seriously and, and, and be open to, to differences of opinion, but always speak the truth and love and always base everything that we believe in on your word, for it is holy, righteous, and pure. So God, we just pray that you would shine in us this light of the world that is the truth of Jesus so that your name would be glorified. And, and we just pray, God, that the thirsty souls of Oceanside, of North County, San Diego, of America, of this world, that they would all turn to you, Jesus, the living water, the only one who can fulfill their thirst. Um, you are so good, God, and thank you for all that you do for us. Bless the rest of our evening. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for tuning in to Renewing Hope Church. May God's love for you renew your hope today, and may his face shine upon you and give you peace.